This morning is a different morning because we are starting um, another new series this morning. We did a prayer series for the last three weeks, and we're going to do another three-week series. Um, we're going to do uh, a series on uh, communion, on what happens at the table. Um, now, the series is titled um, Koinonia, and perhaps you're thinking, what in the world is a koinonia? And if you think it's an exotic fish, you're right. That's exactly, it's not what that is. It's not an exotic fish. Um, it's actually a Greek word that is used in the Bible. Now, often, uh, when we talk about TFRC, we use a word. We use uh, kind of a Christian-y word to talk about um, what TFRC is. We use the word church, right? We use the word church a lot. And we're going to go to church. Um, we're going to be the church. Whatever. We use the phrase church a lot. That word um, in the Bible is the Greek word ekklesia. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's used often when referring to um, the body of Christ. Um, and it means assembly or gathering or something like that. However, in the Bible, there was a word that was used for the church before the word church was used, if that makes sense. And that word is the word koinonia. Um, koinonia. Now, if you were to translate koinonia into English, it means fellowship or communion or sharing or um, things like that. A koinonia is, is a group of people that have come into a relationship, but they have because they all have a common purpose, if that makes sense. Uh, a koinonia is a diverse group of people from different places, different races, different genders, different classes, different socioeconomics, just different people from different places that have chosen to come together and they all come together for the same reason. That's what a koinonia is. Um, I am a movie nerd and one of my favorite movies, which we ju I just watched this week actually, is the first movie from the amazing trilogy, Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans? All right, there's like eight nerds in the room with me. That's okay. We're good. The first film or the first book in the trilogy is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship, that is koinonia, the, the koinonia of the ring in a sense. And the reason they called it that, um, Tolkien called it that, is because, um, if you ever watched the film, there's all of these different people that come together under the same, or, or for the same cause. And it's not even people, because it's Lord of the Rings. There's like elves and dwarves and dorks and stuff like, you know, like they're all together doing their thing together. And they all come together for that singular purpose, and that is they need to throw the ring of Sauron into the fiery pits of mortar to destroy, to save the world. Amen. I am that nerdy. I'm sorry. I get excited. Koinonia is the first word used for followers of Jesus in the Bible, and that's for a reason. Because we are a community of people that have been drawn together from very different places and we all ascribe to the same belief, the same cause. Like, we're different in this room. Some of us perhaps have their doctors, right? We have doctors in the room. And some of us have a high school education. And some of us make just a ton of money. And some of us maybe don't make much money at all. And some of us have a bazillion kids. And some of us, well, we've gotten way past that stage. And some of us haven't even gotten to that stage yet. We are a group of people from very different 
places in life. Yet, we've been drawn together and we call ourselves a church and we call ourselves TFRC and we do so for a reason, right? And the reason is Jesus, right? It's like the easy Sunday school answer is Jesus. We're caught up together in this following Jesus thing. That's why we're all together. We are believers that there is this risen God in the world. We ascribe to that. We have faith in that thing. We are stuck on this thing called grace, and we just love grace, and it's everything to us, right? Like, that's why we're in this room together. And if you think about it, if that didn't exist, most of us in this room would not be friends or in community together. It's that one thing that draws us together, makes us into a community because we are the koinonia of Jesus. Now in the Bible, the, the word koinonia also refers to something else too. You see, there's this thing that Christians have been doing for thousands and thousands of years where they come together, they gather, the church gathers, and then they have this bread and they break it together and they remember Jesus. And then they have this cup and they drink it together and they remember Jesus. And in the Bible, that thing, that meal, that thing, whatever we call it, that is called koinonia in the Bible. It's why we use the phrase um, communion to talk about what we do at the table. And you see, it's no accident that the koinonia at the table and the koinonia of Christ, like the body of Christ, us, the church, that they're, use, that they're using the same word, the same koinonia. Because there's a close relationship between what happens at this table and who we are as a community. You see, in a sense, the koinonia of the table is actually the very thing that draws us together and makes us the koinonia, the body of Christ, in a sense, as we remember what Christ did for us. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to study Holy Communion. We want to dive into it together as a community. We want to spend some time just studying what in the world is going on here. What is this why is this TFRC koinonia going to the table and doing this koinonia thing at the table? What is going on there? You see, Christians, um, since the beginning of Christianity, have been partaking in communion, and they've been doing it regularly. And it's because at the table, um, we remember something, and that makes us into something. Communion has the power, in a sense, to make us family, I would say, is what it does. And so for the next few weeks... We're going to explore that. There's really three um, ways to understand communion that Christians have understood it for a very long time. And they all are temporal. All has to do with time. When we come to the table together, um, sometimes when we come to the table, we look back into the past. We dwell on things that already happened, right? We know this. We remember at the table. Oftentimes, it's we remember the moment of the cross, Right? But there's this other thing in communion. When we come to the table, there's this, there's this present tense thing that happens too. At the table, um, we actually commune with each other right now. 
right in this very moment, we commune with each other and we commune with God, like right in the present tense. And then there's this other way that you can understand communion, and that is the future aspect of it. And that is when we take the elements and we taste them, at some level, God is giving us a taste of what is to come, what heaven is going to be like. And so there's this hoping element of what we do when we come to the table. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about each of those. And today we are going to talk about the past tense part of communion, remembrance, remembering. And to do so, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, verses uh, 23 through 26. If you have a worship center Bible, the page number is 930. That should help. And what we do here is uh, we have Olivia Rao. She's going to come on up and she's going to read scripture for us in the center of the room. So Olivia, when you're ready, you can head on up. And then what we do as a community is we stand and we face the center of the room as God's word is read. And we do that for an important reason because the scriptures are the greatest story ever told. They're the true story. It's our story. It's the story of Jesus. So take it away, Olivia, when you're ready. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Olivia. You all may be seated. About eight years ago, um, my wife Becca and I, we found ourselves exploring um, New York City. It's a great, fun city to explore. And one of the things we did while we were there um, is we wanted to go to Ellis Island and take a look at Ellis Island. Now, if you don't know what Ellis Island is, Ellis Island um, was one of the main immigration centers for America from 1892 to 1954. Um, And it was important that it was in New York because many, many, many people were fleeing Europe due to bad economics and all sorts of other reasons. And they wanted to make it to the new world. They wanted to make it to America where they could perhaps make a better life or at least have a shot at doing that. And so lots and lots of people were immigrating to um, the U.S. from Canada. One of those people that was immigrating from the U.S. to Canada, or uh, Canada, from Europe to the U.S., I'm struggling. We're going to be okay. One of those people was uh, my wife's grandpa, um, and his name was Herman Clunder. And Herman Klunder, um, I believe it was in the 20s, he made his way over from the Netherlands and found himself at Ellis Island. And he spent weeks there processing his way in uh, before um, he was able to leave and then start a new life in America. And so Becca, my wife and I, we found ourselves headed um, to Ellis Island 
and they have all these things you can do to research your ancestors that perhaps passed through there. And we found documentation from Herman Clunder, and we got to see his signature on things. And we got to see the dates he arrived and some of the things that happened while he was there before he was off and ready to go. And that experience, I, I don't know how else to say it, but that experience was profoundly meaningful for my wife. It was so meaningful to see her ancestor and see what her ancestor did and how that affected her life later. Now, you see, there is something meaningful about learning our heritage. There's something profoundly meaningful for us to know where we came from. It matters to us. Um, where our ancestors came from and, and who they were and, and what they did and were they good people or were they bad people, right? It matters to us to answer some of those questions. Many of us actually, when we find out we take pride in the answer to those questions, right? We take pride in our ancestry. Um, uh, my wife is Dutch and I, I moved from the Midwest in the, kind of like the Dutch utopia is what I would call it in Michigan. And there was this phrase that loving, caring Dutch people would say um, toward everyone that wasn't Dutch, including myself. Um, they would say something like, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Isn't that endearing? <laughs> now you could read that all sorts of different ways, right? <clears throat> but it's a pride thing. My heritage is Dutch and that matters to me. It's meaningful to me. It's part of my identity. It's who I am. And see, our scripture, reader this, scripture reading this morning is about identity and it's about ancestry. And at first, it doesn't look that way. It looks like a communion passage. But when you kind of peel back the layers, that's really what's going on here. I want us to see this. In your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 through 26. It's part of our scripture reading this morning. I want to read a chunk for you a second. This is what it says. Paul writes this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, I'll keep going. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. There's something important about remembering for Jesus. And he wants to make sure that his church, his followers, remember. And I want to talk about remembrance for a minute out of this passage. Because when Jesus commanded his disciples and then later us to remember, to remember him, he did so at a unique moment in his life. See, he did so, yes, he was about to go to the cross, but he was sitting at a table with his disciples and they were celebrating the Passover festival meal. That's what they were doing. They were hanging out, remembering the Passover together. Now, for Jewish people of the Bible, and then actually Jewish people today, festivals are really important. Lots and lots of festivals for lots and lots of moments where God showed up and then God did something. Um, and the Jewish festivals held an important meaning for people, and they had a consistent meaning. And the meaning was, you go to these festivals and you do all these fun things or these kind of take these important steps or follow these certain rules, and you do so because it helps you remember it helps you remember something about yourself. It helps you remember when God acted on your people's behalf, 
You remember when, when God made a victory happen for your ancestors, you're supposed to remember those things. You're supposed to remember when God saved your, your ancestors. You need to remember that. It's important we remember that. That's what the Jewish festivals were for. And there was this Passover festival, and that was like the festival to beat all of the festivals. It was a really big deal in the ancient world. It's still a big deal today for Jewish people. And at, in, in the middle of this festival, near the end, um, there's this meal, there's this feast where they come together and they have this feast. It's called the Haggadah, if you want to use you know, Hebrew words. But it's the Passover feast where people sit down and then they eat together. And it's very structured. There's things that you do along the way. You take bread and you dip it in a thing and then you eat it and then you think of this and then you say this word and then and it keeps going for the entire meal. And it all has one important purpose. Remember. Remember. Remember what the God of Israel did during the Exodus. Remember when the God of the universe came down and saved the Hebrew people from their slavery. You need to remember that. Jewish people. It's important that you remember. Remember that God saved your ancestors. You have to remember that. And everything we do is all about remembering that moment. You see, it was vital for Hebrew people to remember the Exodus story. They had to remember. And it was vital for a couple reasons. But one of the biggest is as humans, we have short memories, don't we? We forget so often we forget. And so you go back to the meal, to the Passover meal, and you remember and you do it all again. So it's fresh in your mind again and again and again. You must remember. In Deuteronomy 26, um, God commands uh, the Hebrew people to do something that I think is interesting. He says um, in Deuteronomy 26, 5, Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. You need to remember that, Hebrew people, that that's where you came from. And the God of the universe came in and saved you. That's part of your story, Hebrew people. And it's important to remember. And it's important to remember because we have all these things in our lives that distract us from remembering. Like we have our jobs and our careers and where we want to go next with that. And we have our health and we have the busyness of life, right? Like all the things that make up our life, it's really busy and we move at a faster pace than ever before. And it's more vital than ever. You have to remember because sometimes, sometimes you begin to think that those things that are busy in your life become your identity, right? And you have to remember that there's a bigger identity out there. There's a bigger story in your life. So you must remember. Remember that you're part of a bigger story. It's bigger than what you think. You see, in our scripture reading, Jesus is at the Passover meal with his disciples and he's following the script perfectly and you know they're tasting the thing when they're supposed to and they're eating the other thing when they're supposed to and they're saying the thing that they're supposed to say when they're supposed to and then something happens and Jesus goes off script it's interesting. And he says, hey guys, you know, you're remembering this Passover thing. You're remembering the Exodus when God came down and saved your people. Now I want you to do something else. 
as well during this moment. I want you to remember me, Jesus says. Remember me. You see, now, disciples, your stories that you live are going to be permanently wrapped up in my story, Jesus says, and you need to remember that. It's so important to remember. Now, something else goes on here, too. So Jesus has this Passover meal with his disciples, and then it's just decades later, something happens. Jesus dies, he goes to the cross, he resurrects, and he ascends, and he's with the Father. And then in the book of Acts, something happens. You see, people that aren't Jewish, that don't practice Passover meals like this, those kind of people, those kind of people suddenly start coming to faith into Jesus. It's a really big deal. And those people start going to these Christian house churches, right, where they hang out together, and they have this thing called the love feast, which is what they called communion then. And then these Gentiles, these outsiders, are taking communion and they're saying, Jesus' story, I need to remember Jesus' story because Jesus' story is my story too. The outsider gets to have a story that's part of Jesus' story too. It's a big deal. You see, at the table, as a church, when we come together and we take the elements and we taste the bread and we drink from the cup, we are being restoried. We are accepting that we are now the people of God. That's what we're doing. That we are not what we think we are or we were or what others think about us. That we're not Gentiles anymore. That we're not outsiders. That we're not something else. That we're not too bad. None of those things. No, no, no. We are being restoried into God's people. That's your story that you live by now. At the table, us Gentiles, by the way, that's what the Bible calls most of us, we come to the table and we take a look back at the story of the Old Testament and we say, hey, you know the story of Abraham where God called Abraham, that story? That's my ancestors now. I need to remember that. Those are my people. Like that moment when, when Moses frees the people, right? And they're headed out into Sinai and they end at um, Mount Sinai, right? And there's this giant storm that erupts and then the whips are ripping and roaring and it's, it's this crazy, crazy time and everyone's scared. In that moment, that's my ancestors now. When we come to the table, those people become our people. Does that make sense? They're ours. You know, I don't know about you, but often when I read the Bible, um, something happens, especially in the Old Testament. I read the Bible and I read these really interesting stories and I learn a lot of things about God in the Bible, right? We, we mostly do. But I never really read it personally, in a sense. Those are those people in a different time in a different culture, right? Like, that's how we read it. Those aren't my people. But you see, at the table, when we remember Jesus, what we're doing is we're saying, those people are now my family, that's my story. That's the true story about my life. That's my true ancestors in a sense. Um, Paul talks about this um, in Romans 11, verse 17. It's just a kind of a chunk from it. He says, you, he's talking to the Gentiles, to us, 
though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Paul is saying, you TFRC, you people who had stories that were other than being the people of God, whatever your story is that you believe about yourself, that story, you have been grafted into a new story. You have been grafted into the people of God and that means something for your lives. You who have the story of maybe all those parenting fails along the way. You who had a lot of kids or no kids. You who uh, went bankrupt. You who struggled with something or an addiction or whatever it may be. You who had parents that were so hard on you and you felt like you could never live up to them. And that became your narrative, right? For the rest of your life, you're going to be excellent in everything you do. That story doesn't matter anymore, Paul says, because you have been grafted in to God's people. That's your story now. That's your story. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2.10. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, when we come to the communion table, and we take the bread, and we take the cup. Jesus says, remember me, right? He says, remember me. And that means that we remember Jesus, and we remember what Jesus did in making us part of the family, and now we get to share a heritage with Jesus. It's part of remembering. It's remembering the people that you actually are. And we have to keep coming to the table, right? Again and again and again because we forget. We forget. We start to believe in all the other stories that surround us and make up our lives. And then the, the main story, the story of God, that gets pushed to the side. And so we come back to the table. Oh, yeah. I remember, Jesus. I remember you. I remember the big story, the true story. I remember that I'm a part of it thanks to you. I need to remember that. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to come to the table and remember. And it's going to be a little different. Um, this morning, if you notice, the tables are all up front, kind of lining outside the stage here. And you're going to be invited to come forward to the table. And the whole goal today for us is remember, remember, remember. And so when you come forward to take the elements back to your seat, you're going to come forward. And what I would love you to do is when you get there, stop and just look at the cross for a second and remember, even if it's for a split second, remember, oh, that's the story. That's the story that I live in. That's what Jesus did. That's the true story for my life. And when you've stopped and you've looked at the cross, you'll look down and you'll see the bread and you'll see the cup and you'll see something else. There's going to be a paper there. And on that little paper is a genealogy of Jesus. Um, Luke 3 
has this great genealogy of Jesus that takes Jesus all the way back to Adam. And we printed it out. And what the point that Luke was trying to make when he created this genealogy was to prove just who Jesus was. He's a part of the people of God. He is thoroughly a part of the people of God. And what you'll have the opportunity to do, thanks to that cross there, is you get to add your name to that genealogy. Because that's your people. That's your heritage now. That's who you are. And so you'll come forward. You'll take a pen. You'll write down your name on that genealogy. And you'll take that piece of paper with you. You can take the elements um, with you back to your seat. And then we'll take them all together as well. Sound good? You ready to remember? Why don't we pray? God, we recognize that we have short memories. That you've done great things for our people, for our, the people in our past, God, and you've guided us and you've done great things for us, even in our lives, even in the midst of hardship, God, you've been good to us, you've guided us. We are your people, God. This morning as we come to the communion table to, to be with you, to be in your presence, God, we ask that you help us remember. We ask that you help us put down all the other stories we believe about ourselves, God, and to accept the biggest, truest story you have, that we are yours and that means something, God. And help that transform our lives, God. We thank you so dearly for the cross that it was the cross that won us over. We are now yours. We're your family because of what you did at the cross, and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church?